verses 1 through 12. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 336. Hear now the word of the Lord. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Ha'araloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the, repro the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. When the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Gracious Father, we come to you with humble hearts. We thank you for the blessing of your word, the blessing of your truth. We pray that we would hear your word now. Pray that we would hear this message. Pray that we would have circumcised hearts, dear Lord, that we would be your people. Pray that we would understand your will for us and we would have the courage to follow it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Robert. Well, God gave us signs. God gave us signs to help us uh, to nourish our faith and to grow us in His grace. If you're like me, your faith waxes and wanes like the moon. And some days it's strong, and some days it's perhaps a bit weaker. And we can identify with the Father in Mark chapter 9, I believe, help my unbelief. 
God is a gracious God. And he has through, throughout all of the time of his redemption of his people, he has given his people signs that they might be reminded of what he has done for them. They, they might be reminded of to whom they belong. They might be reminded who their Lord God is and what he has done for them. And we see this all throughout scripture. We saw this a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago as we looked at the memorial stones that Joshua put up perhaps in the middle of the Jordan, but definitely to the side of Jordan at Gilgal. We see it in, in Noah. How do we know that God will never flood the earth again until everything is destroyed? Well, we see it perhaps today if the sun ever comes out in the rainbow. God's sign, His promise to us that this will never happen again. We see it with uh, the Abrahamic covenant. God made this covenant with Abraham. He gave him a sign, and it was a sign of circumcision, not just to be done to him, but to his posterity after him. We see it with uh, the Ten Commandments. We see it with the, the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that God made with Moses and all of the nation. We see it in one day in seven. They are reminded of their faithful commitment to the Lord and his commitment to them, that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. God gives us signs that we might remember who he is and what he has done for us. And particularly in the Old Testament and the New, he has granted these things called sacraments. We see both of them celebrated here in, in Joshua chapter 5 where we see circumcision and Passover. And now that Christ has come, we have those things replaced in baptism and the Lord's Supper. God has given us these things because we have weak faith. He's given us these things that, that we might have our uh, faith nourished and that we might be grown in grace. We have a God who is sympathetic to us. We have a God who is understanding of us. We have a high priest who knows what it is to face temptation. We have a high priest who has walked these long, hard days yet without sin, and therefore we can draw near to him in time of need and find grace and help in time of need. God has always given us signs. Signs that point us to the fact that God does not save us by our works, but saves us by his grace and mercy alone. And in Joshua chapter 5, we see these two things happen. First, circumcision, and then the Passover meal. Well, in order to understand Joshua 5, we will look in a minute at Genesis 17. So perhaps you want to flip there. We'll read a few verses there. But while you're turning there, we, we can find a couple things from our text here in Joshua 5 about circumcision. The first is that God commands Joshua to do it a second time. Now, this is a one-time kind of deal. Uh, but the second time here is that the people had been circumcised on the way out of Egypt. Perhaps they had continued in the, um, the sacrament of circumcision throughout their time of Egypt. We're not told, but we do know that they were circumcised at least by Exodus, chap or, yeah, Exodus chapter 12 because they take the Passover meal. See, they had to receive the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant, the covenant of grace that God had given to his people, that Old Testament saints, New Testament saints are saved not by their works, but by God's grace alone. And he told him to, to gather flint knives and to perform this thing. And, 
And so uh, he and the other elders, they did this upon the entrance into Canaan. Something that probably would have taken four to six weeks to be fully healed of. This was something that apparently was very important. Because don't you remember that they are in the territory of Jericho. They're about six and a half miles from the center of the ancient city of Jericho. Perhaps they can see the smoke in the distance of their enemies. Yet God says, here you shall be circumcised. And so they do. They perform the circumcision, which this text says about four different times. So Hebrew doesn't have uh, these words like most and bestest. Uh, and so what it does is in order to... To emphasize something, it's going to repeat it over and over again. So the action stops in Joshua. As we see, we're told over and over again that the second generation received this sacramental sign of the covenant of circumcision. Well, that's all well and good, but why? Why is circumcision so important? Well, you'll remember in Genesis 15 that God had appeared to uh, Abraham again and had told him more of the covenant that he was making with him. And, And in fact, they entered into covenant in Genesis 15. And God promised him many things. But, But two chapters later in Genesis 17, God's going to appear to Abraham again and change his name from Abram to Abraham and promise him again and and, and explain more fully what he is doing. And then he will give him a sign as a clear promise of what's going to happen. It's a pledge. You know, when we got married, we received wedding rings. And this wedding ring is a, is a pledge from Christy to me that she loves me. And perhaps that engagement ring that I gave to her, it was a promise that we will get married. And so circumcision and baptism too, we'll look at that in a second, is a sign from God pointing to something. It's not just something we do. It's something that God has given us to grow us in His grace and to feed our faith that we might remember who we are and what God has done for us. Genesis 17, verses 8 through 11. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourns, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as, far, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. We can draw several things out of this text here. And the first, there is a clear connection between circumcision and the land. God is going to promise to his people and to Abraham specifically several things in this covenant. That he would be a father of many nations. That he would multiply him greatly. That he would be their God, not only Abraham's God, but to his offspring forever is an everlasting covenant. But one of the things he promises here is that they will inherit A land flowing with milk and honey. Now what does that remind you of? It's what we've been talking about in Joshua chapters 1 through 4, now in 5, that they had taken possession of this promised land. Do you know that God is always true to His promises? Do you know that God is always true to His promises? And there may be times when it seems like He tarries. 
when he delays long. And it seemed like he had delayed long this time. Hundreds of years had passed since, since Abraham's death and the entrance of the people into the promised land. But don't you know that the sign of circumcision was a, a continual sign that one day God is going to give us this land flowing with milk and honey. So this was a, a sign of God's promise to us. Now if he had not given us the sign God's promises would have remained true. His promises are not dependent or contingent upon a sign. The sign is for us. And the sign was for his people. That they might remember his promises. And it might be a sign that they belong to God. Do you belong to God today? It's a question we ought to ask. Who was to be circumcised? This is important as we think about baptism. It's very important. See, God had made promises not just to Abraham. Notice that text. Not just to Abraham, but to his children and their children and their children and their children. So the promise is not only to the head of the household, but to the whole household. Circumcision didn't save, but it was a sign of God's promise. Perhaps you're like me and you need as many signs as possible. We're told in Jeremiah 4, 4 and Deuteronomy 10, 16 that, that they had to circumcise their hearts. But the fleshly circumcision didn't save them. The circumcision of the hearts is what saved them as God worked His grace into their hearts and caused them to turn to Him for salvation. As they tried not to earn their salvation by works, that didn't save them back then and it won't save us now, by the way. Not by our good deeds. By God's promise of His grace that He will be their God and they will be His people. I was going to Montgomery a few weeks back for presbytery business and Christy had written uh, in our shower, I love you. Have a good trip to uh, um, Montgomery. And these crayons that Thomas has that you can use on tile. It was a sign to, from her to me that she loved me. And it encouraged me. Now I know that she loves me. But what an encouragement it was to me that day that today she loves me. And she's got my back. These are how the signs of God, the sacraments of God work. They are signs that God loves us. He's got our back and He is our God and we are His people. So who was, sacri who was uh, circumcised? Well, it was every male. Because the promise was to the whole nation of Israel. Every male was to be circumcised to receive the sign of God's promise to them. Now this doesn't mean that every male was saved. But whether or not they received the, the sign, or they, they all received the sign of circumcision. But whether or not they were saved didn't, didn't um, determine whether they would receive the sign. Because they were benefits of being part of God's people, even if they didn't know the Lord. Think about it. As we think about baptism. Those who are baptized, not everyone who is baptized as an infant comes to know the Lord. But there are still benefits of being baptized and being part of God's people. Think about it. You, you have access to the Word of God. You have access to elders who love you and shepherd you. There are benefits of being part of the covenant people of God. As we look to the signs, we, we look to the Word as we can come to Him in prayer. This is where God may be found. 
well, we don't have circumcision anymore as a sacrament. Baptism has replaced it. And we, we see this explicitly put in Colossians 2, 11 through 13, where these two things are equated. Who is to be baptized? Who is to be baptized? Now, believers of, of many stripes who love Jesus may differ on this question. But we think about it, God doesn't change how he deals with his people. God has always saved his people by grace, through faith. Remember in, in um, uh, Genesis 15, Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. We see it in Galatians, uh, um, uh, Habakkuk 2.4 and quoted two or three times in the New Testament. God's people have always been saved by God's grace. Who has received the sign of God's love? Just like in the Old Testament where the, the, the head of the household, those who desire to be part of Israel, received this sign, so too now believers and their children are to be baptized. We, we can see this especially in Acts chapter 2. If you, if you have a Bible, turn there. It's a, it's, a, it's a seminal text. It's a fantastic text. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. You'll remember the context here. Peter has just delivered perhaps one of the best sermons ever delivered at the day of Pentecost. And all these Jews who had crucified Jesus, they are cut to the quick. Their hearts are burdened. And so they ask Peter, what should we do? What a great question to ask as we hear the gospel, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now get this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God makes promises. And he gives us signs of these promises that we might remember who we are and what he has done for us, that our grace might be strengthened, that his grace might be strengthened in us and our faith might be nourished. And it is through this that we are entered into the people of God. We see this in, in, uh, in, in several places in Acts. Acts 16, 15. You remember when Lydia was converted? I ask you, who was baptized that day? It wasn't just Lydia. It was her whole household. In the same chapter in 1633, we see the Philippian jailer was baptized at once. He, his whole household. Well, baptism doesn't save, does it? It doesn't save. There are those who believe that, by the way, but, but Scripture doesn't bear that out. Baptism doesn't save. What does it do? It points us to the purification of sins by the blood of Jesus. Just as the water washes the infant by, or, or adult. By the way, in two weeks, I get to baptize Elizabeth Ann, and I'm thrilled. Uh, what a delight. Um, but it shows us the power of Christ's blood. It shows us that we, we are united to Christ. It shows us that we are His, that we receive the sign of the covenant. Just like an engagement ring we might receive before we are actually married, so it is a God's engagement ring to us that if we turn to Him by God's grace, He will be our God and He will redeem us from our sins. So in two weeks as we get to see little Lizzie baptized, we, we will be called to remember our own baptism. We'll be called to remember what God has done for us. That he would send his only son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. 
you know, it's not, um, it's not necessary to be saved. You don't have to be saved. Excuse me. Uh, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. That doesn't mean it's not important. You think about the thief on the cross. He, he was saved that day of his death. And what did Jesus tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. You know, it's interesting, Augustine, a great church father, he, he did believe you had to be baptized to be saved, and he had an answer for that. He said that the water that spurted out of his lungs, Jesus' lungs spurted over and, uh, and drenched the sinner on the cross. I don't think we have to be that creative. Jesus is able to save those whom he desires. Um, but it reminds us of God's love and being a part of the people of God. I ask you, have you been baptized as an infant? And have you made good on your baptism? Salvation, uh, baptism won't save you. Have you received those things, what it signifies? Have, have those things been applied to you, the things that Christ has done for his people? Don't, don't look to your, your baptism for salvation. Instead, look to the God of your baptism that he might save you even today. Well, God has given us another sacrament. In the Old Testament, it was Passover. In the New Testament, it is the Lord's Supper. And we see this in verses 10 through 12 in this text. Verse 10, we find that, that God's people are, are very um, careful to follow all the procedures of the Passover. We know that because it notes that they did it at twilight, which is what Exodus chapter 12 tells them to do. And so they come into the promised land and they are still a bit sore and a bit tired and recovering from four days previous, having received the other sacrament. And they observe the Passover at twilight as they remember what Christ, what God had done for them in the Exodus. In verse 11, we find uh, that that day they ate of the, the fruit of the land. See, God had promised that when they came into the land, this great land which he had promised to Abraham in the sign of circumcision, that when they did so, that they would eat of this land. They would eat of its fruit, fruit they did not plant. They would drink of cisterns they did not dig. It's just like God to do that, isn't it? For how are we saved? It's not by our efforts or what we do. It's because of what Christ has done for us. That we would benefit from the efforts and the obedience of another. We see that here. They are benefiting from God's providence, from the efforts of another. And so verse 12 tells us that not only do they eat of the fruit of that land, or that, that fruit of the land that day and that year, we find it's a good thing because what ended the very next day? Passover plus two. The manna. The manna ended. There was no going back. Their lot was cast. And it was in the promised land. Well, what is the Passover anyway? You'll remember that it reminds God's people of what God had done for them in the Exodus. Do you remember this story in Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 12? There were ten plagues that God used to harden Pharaoh's heart, to convince Pharaoh to let him go, uh, and to judge the, the gods of, of, of Egypt. All three things are, are in the text there. The tenth plague was by far the worst. See, every firstborn male of man and beast would be struck dead the night of the Passover. Can you imagine the cries that would have gone up that night in Egypt? The loudest of which was in the palace where Pharaoh's son was not spared. 
See, Pharaoh's son was a, a demigod, a, a, a sort of gods. And, and, and here was Yahweh, the, the true and living God, who had shown forth his power, reaching even to, in judgment, execute this little boy who would say that he was a god. But there was a way through this. There was a way through God's judgment. God's judgment was coming, but how could it be escaped? How could they be redeemed? God said, you shall take a lamb from either amongst the goats or the sheep. You, one for every household, and if there are not enough people in a household to, to eat one lamb, then you gather your neighbors, and it's a communal thing, it's a family thing, and you roast it, and it has to be eaten, all of it, with bitter herbs before uh, daylight comes, and anything less left has to be burned. But the important thing is that you would take a hyssop branch and you would dip it in the bowl of the blood of the lamb. We thinking Jesus here yet? You would dip it in the blood of the lamb and you would spread it amongst the door on the doorpost and the lintel of, of your house. And it was by the death of the lamb that God would pass over your house as the destroyer killed all of the firstborn of man and beast. As the text says, from Pharaoh down to the guy in the dungeon, God redeemed his people. He saved them out of slavery. They passed through the judgment of God. And God saved his people from slavery to Pharaoh. And here they are to remember this. As they come into the promised land to remember the God of redemption. The God who saves us no matter what we've done. The God who, by sacrifice, forgives his people. Friends, it wasn't the blood of the lamb in Exodus 11 and 12 that saved them, was it? See, it was the thing that Passover points us to. It, It was to the true lamb of God. As John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was the true lamb of God, the lamb without spot or blemish who came to die for his people. That if we turn to him and make good on our baptism. And believe what he did on the cross was for us and turn from our sin as we believe and rest upon him alone for salvation. Then he will pass over us in judgment. Why? Because he has not passed over his son. So the judgment that was poured out on the firstborn in Egypt, it was poured out to upon his son, our Savior. To redeem his people, the lamb was slain. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The blood was shed for his people. Are you one of his people? Are you one of his people? He invites you today to be one of his people. As we think about what um, the Lord's Supper, which is replaced Passover as the covenant meal, what it does for us. As we come and we remember the bread that was broken on the night when he was betrayed, after Christ had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. As we think back to what he has done for us on the cross, as his body was broken for his people, and the blood that was shed, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. That through the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his uh, body, that we might have salvation. 
And as we come in faith, we do not feast upon Christ physically, we feast upon him spiritually. But when we do so in faith, as God's people, those who have made a public profession of faith, we feast on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving, and he grows us in his grace. These are not empty signs. God uses these things to grow us. And we meet with God here at the table. My friends, we are weak people, are we not? And we have bad days, and perhaps we have bad weeks, and perhaps bad months, where we wonder, does God really love me? But God has given us signs. He has given us the sacraments that we might be reminded as God's people who we are. We are His. And He has saved us not according to our works, but upon what Christ has done for us. He obeyed the law and fulfilled in us that which the law could never do. But if we turn to him in faith, he will save us to the uttermost. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And it is he alone that can save us. My friends, these signs point to our Savior. Do you know this Savior? I, I've done some um, thinking a lot lately and had some brushes with death on the road and been to a funeral of a friend of mine who was 30 years old. And I've been thinking a lot about what is my primary duty as a shepherd. It is to prepare you to die. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Jesus died for you. And because he did not stay in that grave, because he rose again, we too will know if we trust in him the resurrection of our bodies to everlasting glory. This is what the table points to, it points back, but it also points forward. It points that great wedding feast of the Lamb. We sit with our, with our saints, our fellow saints from the Old and New Testament, perhaps Abraham sitting next to us and Moses across the way and our grandparents we hadn't seen in a long time or we're fellowshipping around this table when Christ drinks the cup of wine again and we rejoice at this wedding feast of the Lamb when Christ returns. Oh, may he come soon and may our faith be turned into sight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these sacraments. We thank you for these signs by which you show us and you seal to us and you apply to us what you have done for us in redemption. Oh Lord, may these signs, may your word, may prayer, may these things point us again to our Savior. Lord, that we might know the one and true and living God not because we're good, but because while we were your enemies, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. What wondrous love is this. And when we survey the wondrous cross, we, we know that there our salvation was secured and achieved. May we walk in your love, may we walk in your grace, and may you return soon. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.